I'm Corey Grant, former Auburn football and NFL running back, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. All right, welcome back into the program. This is Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 FM, and on the Tiger Communications app, J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Cam Berry, Ryan LaVoy, and Tom Peavy. We hope that you're doing well. All of our Sports Call callers and guests join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Auburn Bank, they've been your hometown bank for over 110 years. Visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information. Your partner, your neighbor, your friend, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Give us a call to join the show, 334 337-3401 or toll free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9 Auburn Bank, our proud sponsor of the Sports Call phone line All right, let's take your phone calls here on today's show as we go there for the first time today and set to join us here on the program is James from Montgomery James has called into today's program Hello James Hello and War Eagle War Eagle, Eagle. sir Yeah, I am ready for the college football season It's so close. It's so close. And I am ready for week zero to actually begin this weekend as well. It's going to be a fun and exciting year for the Auburn uh, Tigers and then also for college football. We got the game in Ireland that we talked about yesterday coming up this weekend. And, and then, yeah, we're counting down the days at this point. Ten days and counting from Auburn football. Yes, as well, because I am going to be watching a lot of college football this weekend. I'm going to be watching the one from Ireland. And then I'm going to be watching for the first time. Alabama State will be playing against Howard University for the first time ever in their school's history since 50, 150, 125 years that these two programs have actually met since 1937. So this is going to be a classic game. And this game is actually in Montgomery. So it's going to be very, very fun as well. It's going to be a lot of fun for a lot of Alabama State fans and alumni to come back to a beautiful stadium this year as well. And so what's your score prediction for that game? Um, well, this is going to be a historic game, so I'll have Alabama State 38, Howard University 20. 38-20. All right. Should be a fun one indeed. Tell me something else on your mind. Well, with Auburn actually playing against Mercer, I think this is going to be a really good game uh, that we're that we're actually looking, hoping, and looking forward to. Um, I've been, you know, trying to see who's going to be our starter this year. So I think it will be Jack Calzada. So I think he might step up, and um, I'll probably hear some great things after the game uh, if if uh, Zach Calzada will be our starter. So I'm just hoping and. Uh, seeing if Auburn is actually gonna gonna actually win this year. Yeah, we shall see. We will see if Auburn's gonna be able to get it done. That's for sure. Yes, that's well. And then with the NFL Week Three um, game that's gonna be coming up this Friday, I'm actually watching a lot of games on Thursday. I'm watching one of the um, great games of uh, Thursday night football with the Green Bay Packers and. The Carolina and the Kansas City Chiefs, but before the game starts, they're going to actually have a moment of silence for one of their great Kansas City Chiefs legendary uh, quarterbacks of all time. Uh, he he was one of uh, he was one of the very first guys to actually play the very first Super Bowl, Super Bowl one, and um, I, I think you know with with 
um, the Kansas City Chiefs um, being on my heart as well, and and a great um, former NFL star um, in Dawson. I, I think he's going to be remembered for a long time as well. You're exactly right. Couldn't have said it better myself. That is an absolute legend in the sport. Yes, as well, because I know um, what I'm going to be doing because I'm not a Cowboys fan, but um, my nephew, he is a true diehard Kansas City Chiefs fan, so I'm going to actually find him a uh, Lynn Dawson jersey so he can actually wear that as well and get to get to feel what, you know, get to feel a, a, a really good um, person in Lynn Dawson as well. James, that's really thoughtful of you, man. Yes, as well, because uh, me and him, me and my uh, nephew, we're actually, every time when um, my Cowboys actually play against his Kansas City Chiefs, we always have a heated argument, and it's just a back-and-forth battle that we've been having ever since as well. I bet that is entertaining. I bet that really, really is entertaining. Yes, as well, and basically for me, I always, I always pull out the big guns talking about so many Super Bowl moments that my Cowboys actually have, and he goes on the internet and just search all through all through the all through the history book of the uh, of the Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl, and he is completely shocked as well. But he's got the most recent Super Bowl. The Chiefs have the most recent Super Bowl, so he's got that in the bragging rights. Well, he actually do, but sometimes when it comes down to uh, Super Bowl history, I think that the can't the Cowboys actually have more Super Bowls than the Kansas City Chiefs because we had so many great players um, that that played in the Super Bowl. And actually, we have a lot of great uh, players that are inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame as well. And we're actually going to have some more uh, players in the near future from the, camp, from the Dallas Cowboys organization as well. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. You do have more Super Bowls, uh, so that's, that's a fun little rivalry you've got going on there. Do you have any Cowboy jerseys that you like to wear? Um, I actually do. Um, I actually do have one Cowboy jersey that I've been wearing since I've been a Cowboys fan, and that is no other than Tony Romo. So I've uh, wore the. I've already actually worn that so many times as well, and what I'm going to actually do is I'm actually going to frame it and put it on my wall as well. Seems like a cool idea you got there to frame the Tony Romo jersey, an absolute legend. Yes, because I actually, um, when I actually have like my family over for like a big Thanksgiving weekend, we always go out in the backyard and I always, um, I'm pretty good with the football, so I do a lot of, I do a lot of, um, a lot of different tricks that I've seen over the years, and they actually do come out pretty good. You've got some football tricks to show off. Like what? Well, actually, one uh, one trick that my nephew is trying to pull off now, he's actually trying to do um, – actually, I do have one where I can actually take off my shoes and actually kick a football without no shoes on, and it actually works pretty good. Okay, wow. that's, uh, that's Yeah, because sometimes people go and kick, and all of a sudden their shoe flies off with the football as well, so it probably is a little smart that you take the shoe off before you kick it. That's a cool trick. Yeah, as well. And then um, basically I'm very fast on my feet, so I'm very – I'm actually – I always play very fast on my feet because I did play uh, sports in high school and in middle school as well. I did play basketball in my middle school year and in my high school year as well. Outstanding stuff. Very impressive, sir. 
Yes, as well. And then basically I do uh, like to play basketball a little bit from time to time just to work out. And I always work on my jump shots and my little fadeaways that I always do. Is your fadeaway looking good? Oh, it's looking really good. I mean, everybody in Tuscaloosa, they always, till this day, I mean, people are still talking about it. You know, they're asking my sister's boyfriend, where am I? And where, you know, where they're always asking my sister's boyfriend, where, you know, where am I at? And I'm like, you know, I'm at home just, you know, resting for a while. And they want to see me actually sometime as well, because I know a lot of people actually go to the rec center on the campus of Alabama, uh, of the University of Alabama, and they always see me, you know, practicing all my shots and everything like that. And people actually record me and put me on TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, you know, taking my shots and, and making them something amazing. James, you got to send us a video of your jump shot so we can see what it looks like. Oh, okay. I sure would do that as well. Can you dunk? Uh, no, I can't, but I can actually do a really good uh, three-point shot, and it, and it looks really good. What about your layups? Uh, my layups are pretty pretty awesome as well. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. All right, so football and basketball, you've been playing a lot of sports lately, I guess, then. Yes, I have. I actually have because I am a very athletic type of person as well. I can't deny that. Can't deny that after hearing all this. All right, give us one final thought today, James. Well, I know this coming up Saturday, I'm actually going to be watching the big race that I've been waiting for so long. I'm actually going to be watching the Daytona 500 race, and it's going to be awesome. I'm going to be, uh, you know, seeing if Bubba Wallace is actually going to win this race. I have him in my NASCAR fantasy lineup, so I'm hoping that he'll win. And if he wins, then I'll celebrate. As you should. Yeah, if he wins, you deserve to celebrate. I'm glad you brought that up. We're going to be talking about the Daytona race with Steve Latart from NBC Sports. I did that mistake again. But, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about the NASCAR race a little bit later. Yes, as well. And then for the past couple of months that I've been calling the show, I just wanted for you all to ask uh, Sunisa Lee to actually be a special guest on the show just for me so I can get to know more about her as well. I'll see what we can do. She's very, very popular, as she, as you know, and uh, she's got a lot of interview requests, so we'll see what we can make happen. All right, sounds good, and I'll talk to you all on tomorrow. All right, War Eagle. War Eagle, our War good Eagle. buddy James from Montgomery, joining us there on Sports Call. A very eventful phone call there from James. A lot of headlines touched on and more, so let's take a quick timeout. You could call us as well, 334-887-3401. Sports Call continues in a moment. have your attention please ladies and gentlemen can i please have your attention we're auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show hi my name is what my name is my name is sports call on tiger 95.9 this is former auburn football player danny skutak and you are listening to the abby award-winning sports call auburn
All right, we're back on Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. My name is JJ Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy, Cam Berry, and Ryan LaVoy. Final segment here in hour number one of uh, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Steve Latart from NBC Sports. Got it right that time. He's going to be joining our show uh, coming up at 4 o'clock. You're two for four now. I know. I, I don't know what it is. NBA sports? What does that even mean? I don't know. I haven't even been thinking about NBA. the NBA, really. And I mean, I say NBA. it. I'm cool. Get here. Ready for Let's play some basketball. But I really haven't been thinking about it. I don't know. PJ Washington. <laughs> Brain's all over the place. All right. So with that being said, Auburn is now in game prep. They're counting down the days to the start of the college football season. Still no official announcement as to who's going to be the starting quarterback for the Auburn Tigers. But I think we know what direction this football program is going. In yeah. terms of who that quarterback will be. I mean, right now all signs are pointing to T.J. Finley being the guy. Now, whether he is able to hold on to that throughout the entire season, don't know. But right now it looks like all signs are pointing towards T.J. That's the guy who started for you at the end of the year last year. And, and I mean, we uh, talked about and, it. Well, I yeah, didn't do so hot. But he did start for the team he at did. the end of the year. That's all he was saying. Yeah. yeah. I didn't say one way or another how he performed. No, it was just Bo Nix gets hurt, and you need somebody else to sure. uh, be the quarterback for the Tigers. What were the options? Grant Loy beyond T.J. Finley last year? I guess Demetrius Davis was still yeah. on the team a season ago. and uh, James was talking about Alabama State phone dream. call or Alabama State football during his phone call, and that's where D. Davis is at for this upcoming season. Um, I'd imagine he's expected to be the starter there in Montgomery. Mm-hmm. That's off topic. Hey, good for him. Okay. Anyway, we're talking about whatever. Auburn is probably going to have T.J. Finley as their starting quarterback. Here's TJ. The, here's the reality: is no matter who starts in the first two games, you're not going to get everything answered because you're going to have a situation where a couple of guys will play. Either way, you should blow the team out. And as we know from last year. Blowing out a bad team doesn't really matter much as it pertains to SEC competition. So, look, people are not going to be happy with it being T.J. Finley, but I'm going to break some news. No matter who's at quarterback, if they don't end up playing well, you're not going to be happy. No one will be. And the reality is is that no one has wowed this, this coaching staff in the fall. And certainly we're all aware that T.J. Finley did not play good football at quarterback last year. I think that's what Tom is, his eh is alluding to. Yeah. We're all aware of that. But the reality is, you know, Zach Calzada, again, I, I get you. this game counts the same as any, but remember that if not for the Alabama game last year, he didn't do anything no. really last year either. Right. And we're, really talking about, we're talking about this status where – He's still not 100% according to all information available. He's still not got his shoulder all the way right. So how can you be so convicted that he's just clearly better when he's not 100%? And then with Ashford, I I love the potential of Ashford. However, I don't know if that potential would ever be meshed with this style of offense for him. Right. There's certainly opportunities in this balanced offense to have a few quarterback runs and a few uh, aspects of it that can help him display what makes him really good. But from what we know about Robbie, what makes him so good is his ability to use his legs, scrambling, running, etc., extending plays. 
And so a balanced offense where you're under center half the time is never going to be the the best situation to show that. Now, if you become a really good passer and then you have the ability to escape pressure and get out of the pocket, totally different. Then, then, then that adds to it. But yeah. if your best ability is your run ability, then this is not the offense for you uh, and how it was constructed last year. I mean, we saw, you know, Bo Nix was a decent runner, and he certainly had a few incredible plays using his legs. But again, at the end of the day, it hinged on if Bo Nix threw the football well or not, not whether he ran the football well or not. So all that to say is, unfortunately, Auburn has a, a group of guys that are all a little different, but they all kind of equate to the same thing, which is, just uncertainty and 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 not Man. a lot of confidence in success. So, I mean, look, I, I get people say you did all this in the offseason to go back to T.J. Finley. Again, the, on some level, you don't have to love the coaching staff. Maybe you don't even really trust them. But but if someone was clearly good, clearly better, I'd like to think they would have won out at the same time. You know, I mean, like it, it's clearly close enough, and this is what should concern people too. It's clearly close enough to where the decision could be TJ Finley, and that it's a reasonable decision for the coaching staff to make. So, look, again, I, it's going to have to play on the field. And either way, no matter who it is, they're going to have to play well, or the reality is this team's going to be struggling in all things passing wise. They're going to be one dimensional. And they're going to have a very small uh, margin of, of, er- of error when it comes to playing in the SEC. Yeah. I, I love a good Ryan soapbox talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost all I do is soapbox talks. <laughs> they're great. And, and this is what I wanted to applaud as well when we're talking about the quarterback battle in those first two games of the season are not against – significant competition it's that third game of the year that's going to jump off the page it's at penn state it's the return trip for the nittany lions i love great interviews and great question asking and i'm going to applaud ryan once again here if you haven't heard it our sports call podcast presented by coca-cola yesterday on the program we talked with brandon marcello from 24 7 sports i really appreciated how you framed the question about that penn state football team big test for auburn but just kind of how the national perspective of Penn State has changed. Uh, and, and if you'll talk about what Brandon Marcella was alluding to yesterday. And look, we're always aware of college football, but we obviously have a focus on Auburn. And, and you know, if you want to go out a little bit, the SEC and the Southeast. And my question just simply was, for those that didn't hear it, look, when we did the way too early stuff that's really cute, but everyone feels like they've got to do it anyway, the way too early top 25s back in January and February, March, et cetera, last year, of, of this year, said Penn State would be in the top 15 in the preseason. Some even were flirting with the top 10 around 11th or 12th. And now the AP poll comes out here a, a few days ago as we lead up to the season, and they're not ranked. They're only a couple of spots above Auburn if you just go off vote totals. I think Penn State's like 27th and Auburn's about 32nd, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And so my question just was, like, what happened to the sentiment around Penn State in the last six months that went from this team should be a top 15 team and should be a really, you know, or or should enter the season clearly on a level above Auburn to where – where in reality they've they've ranked it out and Penn State's on the exact same level as Auburn and they're not even in the top twenty five. So, I, um, Brandon talked about it a little bit and just that there's a, a, a difference of opinion that's pretty strong. Brandon does like Penn State a lot. He thinks they'll be ranked pretty much all year. Yeah, uh, I've brought up the fact that in our Big Ten preview that low key the first Thursday night of the year, so 
I guess now eight days from now, they'll go to Purdue, a team that won eight games and has nine returning defensive starters back, including their it's starting quarterback start and running the back right. uh, on the offense side of the ball. And, like, that's a interesting field-out game for Penn State. But, but you know, the, it has been weird, I, I guess, to me, just to see how – normally I wouldn't notice that, but since that's the big marquee non-conference game for Auburn, look, in March, if you're talking about going up against a top-15 team – at home, you're just, you're gonna you're you're talking about maybe you can upset them. Right. But now, when you're talking about a team that's unranked at home, you're saying Auburn should be favored. Yes. By a couple of points. So that that was just that's an interesting change. And I, again, I I guess I still didn't get a clear answer on why the sentiment changed. Just other than that, some people are really hot, some people are really cold on Penn State. Let's get some phone calls to close out the hour. Three three four eight eight seven thirty four zero one is how you could be a part of the program. My name is JJ Jackson. I've got Ryan Lavoy, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy here with me inside our studios as we go to the phone lines. And joining us now, Ward Damn Steve. Retired Ward Damn Steve has called into Sports Call. Hi, Steve. Good afternoon, guys. Uh, always thank you for taking my phone calls no matter what. The Thunder Chickens. Yeah, they, uh, done clucking for the uh-uh. year. Absolutely done. Okay, how how close was it or not? Uh, it, was you, cl- it was close for, for the first three innings, and yeah, then it got two crazy. to one after three. And uh, let's not talk about the rest of it. <sighs> Twenty-one to two was the final score. Or Steve. talk about the, the rest the, of it. That's the last fine. time we played this team, we lost twenty-five to two. So we All did right, improve so by four runs. Yes, uh, well, we did. And, and the first time we played them, we were down seventeen, 17 nothing, nothing going after to the bottom the, of the first. Yeah, top of the first, they scored seventeen. Yeah, but. we we led this game after one inning, one to nothing. Well, moral at victories. least you live for Wilder. <laughs> Do we take any okay. moral victory we can get? All right. Well, uh, all now you just gotta. Uh, you, I think you need to get some maybe some Hooters NIL deals or something. You know, to, we got to uh, figure something out. Yeah, got to get some yeah. former baseball players with us. All right. I know my time is limited, so let's go to it, guys. Uh, Ryan, I uh, appreciated hearing some of your summary uh, summary uh, comments about. Uh, I haven't listened to the podcast yet with Mr. Brandon Marcello. Did he happen to give you his? Uh, projection for Auburn's win uh, win total did he give uh no he he I mean he just talked about the import we talked a lot about the importance of the first five games and um just I I also asked him I think the question of Penn State was which game he valued the most is like Auburn needs to win this if it was Penn State or LSU I think he went he went LSU because of the conference game because LSU is kind of in some not turmoil I mean they're just they're starting anew there uh, as well, and so he didn't really give a formal projection for Auburn. He just said, "Yeah, I mean they've got to figure out quarterback, and they're going to have a, a, a very tough schedule as any SEC team does." Okay, well, uh, I can let you know that Josh Payton, his late kick edition, uh, says that this is an important game, a must-win game for both teams. He says, "What happens uh, if Penn State uh, loses to their open to Purdue?" And come into Auburn with a one and two record. Uh, how motivated will they be? And how much will their backs be against the wall uh, for this game to matter uh, more? He says. And what about Auburn? He says they need to win this game to have some momentum going into the uh, remaining home games before they go uh, into the said abomination of road games uh, waiting for them. Uh, I agree, guys. You know we have to win this game uh, to have some momentum, uh, and let's not overlook. Uh, Mercer, I didn't recall until I saw uh, a summary of some games in 2017, which is one of our better 
uh, seasons. But we struggled against Mercer, guys. Uh, it was 17-10 in the fourth quarter. I forgot that until I saw the highlights and uh, barely eked out a win there. And Mercer uh, is apparently a little bit better this year than they were in 2017. Uh, you guys uh, have any thoughts uh, on Mercer? Uh I, I, would, I don't know about Mercer now, but Mercer is going to be a completely different team than they were in 2017. Auburn is a completely different team than they were in 2017. However, where I have my concerns is not even so much about Mercer. I even made – I know, San Jose State. Right, the bold yeah. prediction that I made. Um, I'm more concerned with the Auburn – Mark his words, Steve. I, I'm more concerned with the Auburn team. Are you going to mark, mark your word on that game? No, I, it's just it was a bold prediction. I don't think that's literally going to happen, but we were talking bold predictions. But I have it there in in the bank that if it does happen, I was like, wow, I actually said that. But I don't, well, I'm upping my cholesterol so, and my hypertension oh, yeah. medication if that happens. But but what I was saying, Steve, is I, I, I'm not so much concerned about uh, Mercer or San Jose State as their teams because I know they both are okay teams. What concerns me is the Auburn team this year is a lot of the same guys that struggled to beat Georgia State last year had to pull off a miracle upset in the fourth quarter to uh, to win that. That's what concerns me with those first two games is Auburn's ability to come out of the gate swinging um, against these two teams that they should be able to beat. So and, uh, and I, that's I, the thing is, I and I – I, you brought it up, but I mean, everybody has been sitting here talking about the Auburn Penn State game, and I'm sitting here kind of thinking, like, good Lord, you, we got to get through the first two before you can even think about Penn State. Because of the importance of that Penn State game, sure, important game. If you screw around and lose one of those first two games, then that Penn State game doesn't it matter. It doesn't matter what they, they may They may fire Hart, They may fire Brian Harson out there in the middle of the field if he loses one of those games. Well, we've had some. Uh... Uh, open uh, open game uh, season uh, losses. You know that. Sure. Uh, well, and again, I mentioned this when we were doing the bowl predictions. There there have been times where this team, uh, or I'm excuse me, not just this team, but the program Auburn, in years that they're down and, and expectations are low, that they have struggled in some of these games. I go back to 2011, the opener against Utah State. You had to kick a, you had to uh, recover an onside kick to be able to win that game. You you had you Jacksonville State took Auburn to overtime you, and they basically handed that to Auburn on a silver platter. Uh, we got beat here one year by South Florida, but South Florida, granted, that time was a top twenty-five team and were very good, but you still lost at home to South Florida. You struggled last year against Georgia State. There's been some of these others that have just been struggle bus games. You mentioned the Mercer game. Uh Eventually, Auburn's luck is going to run out in some of those, and and that's what worries me to death about mainly San Jose State because I know that they've got a pretty decent team. Two minutes well, left, Steve. I, Two I, minutes I don't left. Don't worry too much. According to Lance Dahl, he has us going nine and three. He's a uh, SI, uh, uh, I guess, a uh, beat writer. Uh, he has, by the way, well, ESPN's FPI has us ninety nine point nine percent beating, uh, winning against uh, Mercer and. Uh, 52 to 13 is actually their prediction. And then against San Jose State, uh, Mr. Ryan, uh, I'm Pat, I'm sorry, Tom, uh, is 96.3 a predicted uh, win percentage there, sure. 44 to 9. And Penn State, uh, F, uh, ESPN's FPI has a 62.6% chance of winning. Uh, their score prediction is 26 to 14. So there. Uh, now, 9 and 3, I would be, I'd love, I'd love to see that. In fact, didn't I tell you guys, I, I'm hoping that was my 
prediction, 9-3, and three, did we go and do that? And I still say, I'm sticking to it. I don't see why we can't do it. Now, uh, I'm less concerned about the quarterback right now. I want some reliable go-to wide receivers, as Jason Caldwell said. You can have the best quarterback uh, in the country playing on your team, but if they're a standing statue waiting to be pummeled by the opponent's defense, then it doesn't matter. And if your receivers are dropping passes, it doesn't matter who your quarterback is. And that's what I'm looking for, offensive line play and wide receivers. I was going to say the offensive line, that's going to be my key. And they don't have to be – out, they don't have to be outstanding. They just need to be a little bit above average because I think they have been average to below average. They just need to be a little bit above average because you have some talented guys back there in the backfield that can get you yardage. And I think there are some talented wide receivers out there. We just have not seen that guy step up yet. Um, so if the, if the offensive line can just be a little bit above average, then I think Auburn can do some things on offense. But if – if it's the same offensive line that we've seen struggle for the last three years, then good luck. Well, I hope we're not getting coach speak or player speak, but all I've been reading from Jason Collins, the, the, the players, uh, from Owen Papo, Derek Hall, they're all saying that everything, the team is uh, much more cohesive together. The chemistry is better. Uh, people are, are impressed by the progress being made by wide receivers. So I hope they're not lying to us, right? That's right. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Steve. Okay, guys. Hey. No matter what, War Eagle always. Have a safe afternoon, guys. All right, War, War Eagle. Eagle, our good buddy, retired War Dam Steve, joining us here on Sports Call. That brings us to the end of this hour. Alongside Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry, my name is J.J. Jackson. Coming up at 4 o'clock, Steve Latart of NBC Sports will join us here on Sports Call. One hour in the books, and we're rolling. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call getting started right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. My name is J.J. Jackson. As we get going here from our studios on South College Street, alongside Tom PV, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry, a fun first hour of the program as, again, we're counting down the days till the start of the college football season here at Auburn University, 10 days away from that. But also with the start of football means the conclusion of the NASCAR season as they get set to open up the playoffs 
big race coming up this weekend. And we're th so thrilled to now be able to welcome in Steve Latart. He's going to be a part of NBC Sports broadcast team this Saturday night for the NASCAR Cup Series regular season finale from Daytona International Speedway in primetime, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 o'clock Central here on NBC and Peacock. Let's now go to the phone lines, and our good pal Steve Latart now joins us. Steve, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you today? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful, excited, fired up. You know, regular season's coming to an end, as you mentioned. It's, uh, it's kind of go or go home time, right? <laughs> that point in every season where we're going to see if you have what it takes or if you're just going to be one more team that misses playoff. So in, in our world, in a college sports town like this, we are so accustomed to the grind of a season, how long it takes from start to finish. We mentioned the regular season coming to a close this weekend in NASCAR. How could you best describe the grind of a NASCAR season, or how would you equate that? Well, I, it's simple as this. This will be the 26th week in the 20, or the 26th race in the 27th week. So these teams started off the third week of February at the Daytona 500, the biggest race of the year. And every team went down there with hopes and aspirations to make the playoffs. And it's been a record year for those teams. Fifteen of them have won. They're guaranteed in. A win has guaranteed themselves a spot in the playoffs. But we have some big names, Ryan Blady, Martin Truex Jr., without wins. Um, and the way our system works, if anyone in the top 30 wins a race, they'll take that 16th seat. So, I mean, it is a grind. It is a long, long stretch from mid-February to now late August. Um, and, and, you know, and then we have 10 weeks of the playoffs. This is just going to excite 16 teams and take the wind out of the sails of everyone else. So we mentioned the season starts there in Daytona. Now we're getting set to race this weekend once again at Daytona. Throughout your career, looking back at your time there at the track, what's the first memory that comes to mind from over the years? Well, listen, it, it, that's why I think what we've created in NASCAR is the best regular season because we start and end at Daytona, and that's really what comes back to mind for me, right? I was able to win the 500 with Dale Jr., uh, but Daytona in general, it's special. I mean, it, it's, it's just the home of NASCAR, right? There's this big glass tower across the street where the executives are housed. Uh, it's the high banks of Daytona, the history of racing on the beach, the town itself. I probably have as many days in Daytona Beach, Florida, as perhaps any town in the country um, and it just has that feel, you know, it has that big game feel. That, when you talk about stadiums, um, you know, and I've been to many, I've been to most, some of the greatest, there's very few, if any, that compare to what 100,000 people look like in a mile-long grandstand on the high banks of Daytona. It's just electric. And in the summer, so Daytona has that feel of the season kickoff. Uh, but what we've done by moving this to the regular season finale is when the lights come on and the sun goes down, it's more than just the glitz and glam of a night race. It's the glitz and glam of a night race with that added sensation of desperation. And it's desperate time for 15 drivers who know the only way they make the playoffs is to win a race, right? We have a couple of racing for points, but other than that, there's a list of drivers, and there's some big names, right? There's some champions. Brad Kozlowski's in that list. And if they can't win in Daytona, then, then their, their hopes of a championship have been extinguished. I, you know, the question I was going to ask is uh, just how cool is it, it just in the sport of NASCAR that there's so much parity that from race to race, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there is not just that one driver that is just dominant right now. How cool is that for you as a, as a broadcaster, just as a fan of NASCAR, to be able to sit down and watch a race and you really just don't know what's going to happen by the time that checkered flag drops? 
Well, I will tell you, it's spectacular as a fan. It's humbling as an analyst. Yeah. Because for most years, you've been able to, um, you know, kind of pick the top two or three guys or the teams that were going to get hot at the right time. And this year has been the most difficult between the new car and the unknowns in the new car. And then I also believe this has been slowly building with the where the business model of NASCAR is with the charters. We're starting to see some new owners, the track house, 2311, that have been around a couple of years now, but they're really kind of getting their legs underneath them, stretching their legs and finding their ways to be successful. So it, it, it's a little bit of both. You know, it's, some of it's the new car, but I believe some of this is going to continue for quite some time because I think, uh, you know, it's just there are more equal teams. You know, the powerhouses have lost the step, and some of the smaller teams have found the step. And, Steve, we talk about this race and obviously being the, the last one of the regular season. Obviously, in the past, though, it used to be the 4th of July race, and it used to always be a, a big event. And, and now NASCAR moving it uh, in recent years to the end of the regular season. I can't think of a more perfect race because of what you talked about with anyone that could win it and just the anxiety. I, I wonder, too, if from the angle of we've had stage racing in NASCAR for a while now as well, but it really makes all the stages matter because if no one ends up winning that's outside the top uh, 16 right now, if Blaney or Truex need to race in on points, they've got to be trying to get every stage point they can as well. Well, they have to get every stage point, and then the 15 guys that know they're in the postseason starting in Darlington uh, a week from – from this Daytona race, they want those playoff points, and one gets assigned to win a stage. So, you know, when you look at the playoffs, and you look at Austin Stinger, he wins the victory lane in the Daytona 500 to kick off the year. But other than that major highlight, there hasn't been a lot of highlights. He's going to be a little behind when it comes to the reseeding, the way the points are distributed. So that playoff point has high value for him. So I believe there are these moments throughout the race that are going to be super, super valuable for all the drivers in the field. Um, you know, you just said it. The year's been unpredictable. I, I don't know what we're going to see. You know, I think it's going to have a little bit of everything. I think we're going to see some chaos. I think we're going to see some times that they're going to get lined up around the top. And I say that because, you know, we could say that's a lull, but I look at it a different way. Like, we're three wide all the way around there. The drivers can't really do much. Almost, it's really just gridlock at 200 miles an hour. But... When they get single file around the top, pounding down the laps to an end of a stage, 12 to go, 10 to go, 9 to go, man, that is like, that, that, that's the anticipation. You know it's coming. And uh, that could be just as exciting. And I think this race, we're going to have all of that. Well, now, with this race being at Daytona on a super speedway, we all, we all know the dangers that come with just NASCAR in general, but all, especially on a super speedway. Are there, are there any worries among the drivers or the crews or anybody over when you get towards the end of that race, people might start taking some, some chances that they shouldn't be taking? And, I mean, you talked about the potential of chaos, but is there any worries that, you know, the super speedway and, you know, the, the margin of error is very slim and, and how dangerous that could get if guys start really kind of pushing the envelope a little bit too much? Well, I really believe that all 36 drivers, when they climb in at Daytona, they've accepted the fact they may not finish. They could be involved in a big accident. Right. And we've seen them, and that's really – I'll tell you what sets these drivers apart. I'm friends with most of them. I play golf with some of them. I hang out with them, and they seem like such normal people. And then they show up on Sunday, and they are so far from normal, you can't even explain it. <laughs> it's, um, their normal is undefinable, right? It's, right. It's, they find it normal. Like, you're going to talk to them pre-race, and an hour later, they're going to climb, in, climb into a 3,400-pound hunk of steel and go 200 miles an hour. And I'm going to tell you, we throw those numbers around all the time. 
it's kind of like, you know, those athletes talk about lifting weights, right? Oh, I could bench 250. You ever try to bench 250 pounds? That's an easy number. I can't deadlift 250 pounds, right? <laughs> like, we kind of get used to the power and the speed of the stick and ball guys. Well, I'm going to tell you, we throw miles per hour around in NASCAR all the time. You go to Daytona, you climb down on the grandstands, you walk as close as they'll let you go to that catch fence, but you feel what 40 cars at 180 miles an hour feel like, and, and you will never forget that moment. And then when you watch it on TV and one gets backwards, your stomach will go into your throat because you'll remember how fast that car felt when it came by you. It's life changing. Steve, last week we had drama at Watkins Glen, and we saw Kyle Larson ultimately uh, beat out Chase Elliott, A.J. Allmendinger, and other, and other uh, to, to win that race. And, of course, after the race, uh, there was some – little bit of talk about between Larson and Elliott and, and their status. You know, obviously, teammates, NASCAR and racing is, is such a unique thing because it's it's the one sport where you have teammates that can't share in the winning as much as you can. Because, obviously, if Kyle Larson wins the championship, good for Hendrick Motorsports, but Chase Elliott can't win the cha- championship at that point, too, and vice versa. And I just wonder your perspective of this, having crew chiefed in that organization, a big organization for Jeff Gordon at a time when Jimmy Johnson was the up-and-comer and Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson started to have run-ins. What do you think of everything that went down, and how difficult is it for an organization? Look, it's a great problem to have to have multiple guys in championship contention, but how difficult is it for uh, an organization to deal with two drivers that are both they're fighting for the same real estate? They're both trying to win a championship, and sometimes that's going to lead into some on, on-course accidents. Yeah, really. When I go back and watch Watkins Glen, in my mind – I understand Chase Elliott being frustrated that he lost, but to being disappointed on how he's treated by, by Kyle Larson, I just don't see it. Um, the move I see Kyle Larson make right there, if that's anyone but Chase Elliott to the outside, none of us even question it. And as a race fan, we should applaud the fact that he's going to do it, whether it's a teammate or not. I understand teammates, and I understand we're going to work together. We're going to help each other out. We're going to share information. We're even going to perhaps have a little give and take throughout the day. But at some point, there's 36 drivers. There's not Hedgehog Motorsports. There's not Joe Gibbs Racing. We talk about it in the media, and, and you know, those are good buzzwords. But Kyle Lart, like, you know, when I say Dale Jarrett has won three days on the 500, we don't talk about who his teammates were for the three. We don't talk about where he drove for the three. You know, Dale Jarrett's a Hall of Famer because he has three Harley J. Earls on the, tro- on the trophy case from Daytona. So, in the end, you know, it's, it's, it's a little head-scratching to some, but in my mind, I'm, I'm more – just shocked that Chase Elliott would expect something different out of Kyle Larson. I'm shocked that he took the outside and gave up the advantage. Um, and now, listen, Rick Hendrick and Jeff Ford, they're, they're, mad, they're magicians at this, right? The place is going to work together. The engineers are going to work together. And I think every once in a while, you have to remind your superstars what's expected of them on the racetrack. Now, I don't know what was said, but if I know Rick Hendrick very well, the rules probably still apply, which is under no circumstances do you get in an accident or wreck your teammates. It's unacceptable. That level of aggression won't be tolerated. But that's kind of the line and the only line. Um, and, and that line wasn't crossed on Sunday. So I can understand the disappointment, but at the same time, the race fan should be applauding it. Because the day Kyle Larson doesn't try to beat Chase Elliott, we have a way bigger conversation than two drivers mad at one another. I'm going to be the guy screaming into the microphone wanting to know what we're doing and why we're watching it. And, and I heard you say that exact same thing in the, in the post-race uh, on uh, USA uh, last weekend. And, and, you know, like I said, it, I kind of alluded to it in the, the previous question, but it, it, it takes me back because obviously, 
you know, when you were in the middle of it for this organization with Jeff Gordon as Jimmy Johnson became the new superstar, and, like, when you're accustomed as a driver to – obviously you're still racing against everyone else, but when the person in your own shop is arguably your biggest competition, look, that's not – I don't want to sell anyone else in this field short because obviously someone outside of Hendrick Motorsports can win this championship. There's plenty of great drivers. But when someone outs or in your own shop feels like your biggest competition – what does the driver think about that? And, and you, you as a crew chief, are you looking over at that other pit box saying, yeah, that's kind of my buddy, but at the same time, we've got the same goal and I need to beat that guy? Well, I think it's very clear that you're really, really good teammates for about six and a half days a week. But when the green flag flies, you're responsible for one car and one car only. Back when Jimmy and, Je- Jimmy and uh, Jeff had their disagreements, you know, Chad and I were the ones sitting the two of them down in a room and saying, listen, you guys are going to have to get up, get by this. We have to figure out the rules of engagement because everybody in our building, they're 24, 48 employees. They, they go to victory lane. If either team goes to victory lane, they get their bonuses if either team wins. So there's no colors within the building. So really the only people that feel this separation are you two drivers. And I'm going to give Jimmy and Jeff credit, right? They found a way to get past that and lead that. And I think that experience is going to be vital for Jeff, who now leads this organization. He can bring those firsthand experiences up to those drivers. Um, you know, great organizations are rarely ever torn down from the outside. They're always torn down from the inside, and Hendrick Motorsports is going to be no different. And I can assure you that, you know, they're not going to allow a, a division within to make a difference. Um, but to your point, rules of engagement need to be cleared up if they're not, because this won't be the last time Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson start in the front row. And as, as we enter the playoffs, you know, we think Watkins Glen was stressful. It was just a regular season event. You wait till we get to a cut race in the round of eight, when we roll in there and those two are on the front row, one of them needing a win, uh, that's going to be a big moment in time. So, Steve, let's let's get back to what's at hand this weekend in Daytona uh, with the regular season coming to an end. Talk about some of the drivers that you expect to be vying for this win to try and get into the playoffs. And then as a crew chief, what kind of strategy should we be looking out for uh, in Daytona Saturday night? Well, I think for as a crew chief, anyone who thinks track position at super speedway doesn't matter is incorrect. To win this race, you need to run up front all day long. Gas only, two tires, whatever you have to do to keep your driver up front. For drivers that I think can get it done, you know, there's a long list of people that have won, but probably at the top of the list would be Brad Kozlowski. He won a duel back in the spring. He's a seven-time super speedway winner. The guy knows how to go to victory lane. Um, his teammate Chris Busher as well won the other duel back in February. Ryan Blaney won this race a year ago. There are just so many people in the field that have proven success at Daytona. You know, Eric Amarola is a two-time Super Speedway winner. And I think that's what makes this such a captivating finish is that, you know, it's hard to go to Kansas or Charlotte or Richmond and convince the world that, you know, 15 drivers that haven't won the entire year now can win when it matters the most. But going to Daytona, I believe that is possible. I think that's not hyperbole. I think that's a real situation we all have to kind of accept. Uh, so uh, we can sit here and we talk about the drivers. Now, you have uh, obviously spent some time as a crew chief, but uh, with all these teams, how important is their crew chief to making sure that everything is going right? And who are some crew chiefs out there that, that you really like that are leading their teams into some uh, top-notch areas? Well, I think what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to control the tempo. You know, what the crew chief does at the Super Speedway is call a little bit of strategy, but also control the tempo. When, when things start looking a little odd when things start feeling a little odd when you don't like 
the aggression against your team or out of your team, you can kind of roll that back. And for that reason, I look for experience on top of the pit box. And I think that experience is going to come out. Um, and, and for that reason, that's what makes the playoff drivers so tough, right? Whether it's Paul Wolf for Joey Logano, Alan Gustafson for Chase Elliott. You know, these, these crew chiefs that have been there, felt it, dealt with the pressures, you know, they're going to be hard to beat. And that's really the point. With 15 winners already, I know any of the other 15 in the top 30 could win their way in, but to do it, they have to outrun those guys that have proven to be winners already this year. Steve Latart from NBC Sports joining us here on Sports Call today in Auburn, Alabama. Steve, the time has been greatly appreciated. What a fun conversation we were able to have with you. Thank you again for taking time to do this, and we'll be sure to watch on Saturday night. Saturday night, 7 o'clock uh, Eastern, 6 o'clock where y'all are at on USA. I'm going to tell you, there's going to be lights on, speed on the high banks, and some fireworks in the air when it's over, but definitely on the track while it's going on. You want to tune in and check it out. It's going to be great. We'll be tuned in. Thanks for the time today, Steve. This was fun. Thank you. All right. That's our good buddy Steve Latart joining us there on the program. You heard it there. 7 o'clock Eastern time, 6 p.m. Central. Daytona Super Speedway. Got a big race coming up to close out the regular season. Oof. Was that a breath you just exhaled? Because that's exactly what they're going to be doing nah. for 160 <laughs> that one, no, that's what Holding their breath. I'm telling you what, I all I can imagine, that's part of the reason I asked the question is, can you just imagine when you get towards the last few laps of that race, 200 miles an hour, playoff spots on the line, Oh my goodness! That that's if you move six inches oh, the wrong way, oh, you don't man. collect yourself. You collect fifteen others that will also be very mad that they got collected in your wreck. We'll talk a little bit more about that conversation and uh, get back into a little college football discussion as well. A whole lot of fun. Sports call Tiger ninety five point nine FM. you want to join our conversation tweet us your thoughts on twitter at sports call au now back to auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show sports call Welcome back into the program. It's Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 FM, and on the Tiger Communications app, JJ, Tom, Ryan, and Cam inside our studio. The Sports Call podcast is brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live, or if you want to hear something again, like any of our interviews, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy an ice-cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk. Coca-Cola, taste the feeling. The podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, the Tiger Communications app, pretty much anywhere you want to find podcasts. You can get that, including our conversation with Steve Latart of NBC Sports that we had just a moment ago. NASCAR is heading to Daytona this weekend. Anyway, to promote a good event like that, we're going to be happy to do it here on the program. And so uh, our thanks again to Steve Latart for taking time out of his schedule to chat with us there. Would have talked to Steve for an hour. And yeah. look, I was you, you gave me credit in the last segment, so I'm going to crap on myself here. Okay. Uh, I did not articulate anything I wanted to very well in that interview, uh, or at least not smoothly. But I wanted to ask him about that dynamic because Steve, if anyone that's not working for that Hendrick Motorsports organization right now, he is probably going to know what's going on best behind those doors right now because 
Well, Jeff Gordon was the biggest name in the sport in the mid-2000s. Even though he was starting to decline just a little bit, that was the guy. Once Dale Earnhardt passed, he and, and Gordon had had a rivalry. Once Earnhardt passed, it was Gordon. Now, Earnhardt Jr. was the most popular, but Gordon was the best. And then up comes Jimmy Johnson, and Jimmy Johnson ultimately takes that mantle over, wins like five straight championships from like 06 to, tw- to 10. And during that time, while driving for both organizations, they got into it with each other on multiple occasions because here's Gordon, the, the great driver for the last 10 to 15 years, and this young guy who he helped hire to Hendrick Motorsports and owned part of his car, he's the one surpassing him. And Steve Letarte was the crew chief for Jeff Gordon, and he had been in that organization. And so, look, it's a little different because Elliott and Larson are not at the same size of their career as Jeff Gordon was. And they both love to have the career that either one of those guys had. But this is something that could happen for the next decade in this sport. Larson is 30. Elliott is 26. Larson won last year's championship. Elliott won the championship before it. And so this this thing could boil over. And it almost did on Sunday. Uh, Chase was so mad. We could have talked about the lighter side of this. Chase was so mad, he said, I'm just looking forward to Bristol next week. Well, as you know from the last 15 minutes, that's not where they're racing this weekend. And so uh, that's why it was really important for me to ask that part of it because I know we're wanting to focus on the end of the regular season. But, you know, that's a potentially big storyline, not for just this week or this year. That could go for years down the line at Hendrick because those two figure to be amongst the best four or five drivers in the sport for years to come. And I want to speak to kind of non-big nascar folks for a moment as we do get set to get back into a bit of a football conversation but nonetheless steve letard of nbc sports his career so decorated and you get to listen to him every broadcast that you're watching within the nbc sports family i thought he made an amazing point in sports in general in that conversation again if you missed it and you're just turning on your radio or however you're listening to us, go back and listen to it on our podcast after the show comes to a close. It's not often that we sit there and just throw out numbers in sports and not let the human side of things take a moment to process it. Benching 250 pounds should be celebrated. Like, that is really difficult for someone to do. Driving a car 200-plus miles per hour or whatever speeds you can get in NASCAR or in Formula One or in IndyCar racing, think about that for a moment. As humans, we all have the ability to go out there and lift weights. We all have the ability to get behind behind the wheel of a car, but not quite to the level that some of these folks do. And when you take a moment just to process those things and the decision-making that goes into it, in the matter of split seconds, oh. is crazy to think about. Well, and and that's why anybody I encourage anybody that has not been to a NASCAR race to go watch one, especially at a super speedway. I mean, go a few go a few hundred miles up the road to Talladega, and one of the things that uh, Steve Letarte talked about is just the power, uh, you know, the visuals and the power that you get when you're going. Well, those cars are going that fast, and to think about like you were saying, JJ of a person is in that car having to do that. And <laughs> and it's not just 200 miles an hour, but it's 200 miles an hour door-to-door. I mean, with very little wiggle room there. Uh, and, and now... F- no going, luxury of all the mirrors that you've got and cameras everywhere on your current yeah, I mean, car that you're driving day-to-day. You, like, you do have you do have the one rear-view mirror that you can look back, but, you know, it's it, a lot of it is just... It, 
facing forward and you've got a guy talking in your ear telling you what the guys behind you are doing. Um, but, uh, but now, again, that's what is going to make Saturday's race so, so interesting and, and TV-worthy because the, you always know on those tracks, and especially at Daytona or Talladega where the, super, the two super speedways, when you get down to those last few laps and the importance of this race, the jockeying for position that's going to be happening on those last couple of laps at those speeds, it, it, chaos is going Intense. to happen. I just hope, I just hope everybody comes out of it safe. Well, there, there's going to be wrecks. They, yeah. they are, they are absolutely 100% going to wreck in those last couple of laps. You just hope it's not a devastating crash uh, physically. Well, it's just and, the cars that get banged up. And again, about the stage racing that Steve talked about for a little bit. That's why stage racing has been more effective right. because there would be a time where you would run 100 or 150 of those 200 laps single file Yeah, because you're just trying to make it to the end. Yep. And you know if you're racing two and three wide for 150 laps, your probability of making it to lap 198 of 200 is much lower. Yeah. Uh, and so these stages, they get racy at the end of these sure. stages. And, and they draft and they figure things out because I remember going to Talladega this year and there was – I think there was only one lull in the race. So there was about 15 or 20 laps where they really went single file. And after about eight or nine laps, this guy got up and booed, which you couldn't hear, by the way, really. <laughs> he kept going along after the cars went through. But he'd boo them every single time because no one likes the single file aspect of right. that. But when they're in a pack, it immediately turns into the most exciting version of NASCAR because right. there is such, such close proximity, and all the drivers have a chance. Michael McDowell won a Daytona 500. No disrespect yep. to Michael McDowell, but he is not competing for a win really on any other track, maybe a road course. And, and same thing, Austin Sendrick this year as a rookie won the Daytona 500, has really not been competitive the rest of the season, but he is in the playoffs, and he has won a race because he won the biggest sport, biggest race in the sport because of what drafting can do. So, anyway, that Daytona is one of a kind. It's great racing, and uh, it was a great conversation with Steve. Awesome conversation with Steve Latart. Oh. And, again, driving a car that fast, crazy. Lifting 250 pounds for a scrawny guy like me, crazy. Yeah. Just for anybody. I mean, what's the percentage of Americans out there that can bench 250 pounds, like he was saying? I'm not sure, but it's not overly you take high. take the zero off, I got it. 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 888 We will talk about anything you want to in the wide world of sports. Let's go to our phone lines. And joining us on the program right now is... Terry from Auburn. Terry from Auburn, formerly of Talladega, is now with us on Sports Call. Hey, Terry. Hey, guys. Guys, after living in Talladega for the past 20 years, I think I can speak on this subject a little bit. I think you can uh, too, as a, yeah. As a, as a local, it's amazing. I'm not, I never have been a NASCAR fan, but when I moved to Talladega years ago, I, had, I, I gained a lot of respect for those guys. Not only are they going 200 miles an hour, they're an inch and a half and apart doing it. And that's yeah. what's so amazing. Yeah, yeah they, 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 they literally, they're bumper to bumper, door to door. You it want speed. Un, unlike on the other on the, our roadways, you want to bump the person in front of right. you. Right. <laughs> is you need to do that. You got to get their attention, and that that does go on. There's some banging stuff going on, but again, I tell you what, uh, I never I never have been a big NASCAR fan, and then, you know, living there, I'll turn to you against anything. <laughs> but they're some of the greatest guys in the world, and you can't have you can't help but have a lot of respect for those those guys and the jobs they do. So. Um, 
what I what was entertaining as a resident of Talladega, some of the stories that went on went on during the week of race week. Oh yeah, I'm like I, the infield stuff. Yeah. Well, I have a good friend there who works for a transportation company, and he picked up three girls at a hotel, and they were in blue jeans and tennis shoes and in uh, blouses. And when he got to the track, they were in bikinis and high heels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything but, goes at Dega. <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. So. Uh, I want to ask you guys a football question, if I go could. for it. Absolutely, anything. Uh, since since the quarterback thing seems to appear to be wide open, do you guys get the feeling that Robbie Ashford's making more of a push than we're giving him credit for? Yes, because I think that he ultimately will. I, I think Finley will still win the job. I think Ashford will end up second, though. I, I think there's a uh, Brandon Marcello mentioned this yesterday, and he's mentioned it on social media that there's a real possibility Calzada finishes third in this. So I think absolutely Ashford has done a good job because coming into the summer. It was all about what Calzada had been doing to challenge Finley, mm-hmm. uh, with you know Astrid just on the periphery. So absolutely, Astrid has, and on some levels, exceeded expectations because I think most thought he would finish third on the depth chart. Well, let me ask you guys: How, how do you feel about this statement? I think if Robbie Ashford ever gets on the field, the quarterback race will be over with. He'll be the quarterback from from this point forward. Yeah, I mean, I I could see that uh, from everything that I've heard uh, is the. Robbie Ashford is extremely talented. Um, I, I've heard he can definitely throw the ball, but I mean everybody more talks about his mobility and his athleticism mm-hmm. as something that is kind of sets him apart from TJ Finley and Zach Calzada. The, those guys are more of your statue type quarterbacks, but Ashford can actually get out, and move, and give you that 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 running option also. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I really honestly think that in these first couple of games. You're going to see Ashford and Finley both out there. Um, I think Finley gets the start, but I think they're going to have some uh, areas that they're going to let Ashford play, and uh, we'll just kind of see how it all shakes out. But see, I, I, I stand by that statement. I feel like if Ashford gets in there, it's over with. He's going to win the job. He's going to win the teammates, and he's going to make he's going to make Brian Harson realize he's got to learn another coaching lesson in the Southeastern Conference. So, hey guys, you know what? As locals up in Talladega, you should call NASCAR. What NASCAR stood for? Tell me. Non non athletic sport created around rednecks. <laughs> Thank about about Thanks, Terry. There we go. That's our buddy Terry from Auburn, formerly from Talladega, joining us on the program. You can find an acronym for a lot of different things, and uh, certainly that, that's six letters involved in that acronym. But he pulled it off. It, it. I don't know what it is about this, but for whatever reason, Terry's onto something when he says Ashford. If he played, he thinks he just got to run away with the job because, for whatever reason, the mobile guys. I, I, you know what? I have a theory. How much time you got? I'm going to take a break. I'm <laughs> okay, going to take a break, right. and I do want to hear out this theory. Another Ryan uh, soapbox. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're ready for it. And uh, we're going to hear this theory after one timeout here on the program. All right, it's Auburn's first at Auburn's favorite sports talk show. We've won the Abbey Award in consecutive years. Thanks for listening and being a part of the Sports Call family. Let's take a timeout. Back in a moment, Tiger 95.9 FM. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. All right, welcome back into the program. This is Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 FM, and on the Tiger Communications app, J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Barry. 
as we are moving forward here on the program. Just had a phone call a moment ago from Terry uh, asking about Robbie Ashford. It set up a thought from Ryan Lavoy, and we needed a timeout before we could handle that. So uh, the thought time <laughs> is yours. That, that's fair. Uh, I don't think the mobile guys get a fair shake in practice because what – everyone around the studio can answer this. What do coaches do with their quarterbacks – in practice. Protect them. I put a, yes. I put the other Which jersey means, on them. Yes, non-contact. It doesn't, it doesn't really give them a true game experience and how they'll be able to affect the game. Exactly. Yeah. So you can't appreciate someone's slipperiness or ability to make plays with their legs truly until you see them actually make people miss, break tackles, run through tackles, etc. And so along with Terry's point, once you actually see the mobile guy get in the game – you can appreciate more what the legs mean. Yeah. So, sure, in practice right now, Ashford is probably not outdoing Finley and, and or Calzada, or at least Finley, passing the football. He's probably all in the same pot with these guys. But you can't appreciate the mobile quarterbacks enough when you've always got them in non-contact. And I'm not saying – like, I clearly understand the reason for non-contact. If you get a quarterback hurt in practice, everyone will want to burn you at the stake and your season will feel like it's over, and I totally get that. But but it just feels like – because – okay. Even at A-Day, they were blowing – like, for Robbie, when he was out right. there on the field, they were blowing some of his plays dead, but he was getting away from right. from the edge guys. And you say, oh, well, these are professionals. These are coaches. They know how to look past that. Yeah, yeah but, like, it, it's still – seeing is believing, and until you can actually see, as Cam said, someone's true effect on what that actually means with their legs, you don't get the full picture of it. And I, I think that sometimes the mobile quarterbacks – I'm not just saying just Robbie here. Look, remember – Again, this is an extreme example. It will not always be like this. I'm not saying this person will become this person. But what world would you think, and no offense to Barrett Trotter, but no, hmm. what world would you think Barrett Trotter and Cam Newton were even in? What, what world would that look like? It would be a world where you could only throw the football right? and where running wouldn't matter. Cam was a good thrower. Barrett was a fine thrower. But Cam Newton's one of the best running quarterbacks that's ever existed because of his power, speed, his awareness, and all that. And that's something Barrett just was not even close to having. And so when you just do dry throwing and you just do some seven-on-seven stuff, you're you're just assessing arm talent, and that's it. You're really not assessing some of the other intricacies about what the position can bring you, especially at the collegiate level when running is more a part of it. I get there's not a lot of NFL franchises willing to get their quarterback hit 25 times a game. I get it. There's still a path to success there. Lamar Jackson proves that. But in college, look, half the teams in college football utilize a quarterback run game to some degree. Some yeah. teams only want their quarterbacks to run, i.e. the triple option. So, again, like I, I – this is not me like staking a claim to like oh Robbie Ashford's getting screwed here he should be the guy but to Terry's point I'm I do think he's on to something where if if Ashford ends up starting or or, or getting a, a even opportunity yeah. you could fall in love with him if he makes those plays with his feet yeah I agree because his ability to run and move and and kind of manipulate the pocket could open up the field drastically. I think I think that would be the biggest thing that can end up doing wonders for the offense is is extending plays and opening up the field. I mean, even just for run plays in general, because they do have that 
um, that threat now, there's, it's just the field will just be way more open. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think Robbie could, could definitely change up how, how this team could play in the future. Crazy to think about because there was so much love and fanfare for Zach Calzada uh, when he was the transfer quarterback and, and not so much Robbie Ashford. And then in another kind of crazy way to think about it, Robbie Ashford is from Hoover High School, right? He's a state of Alabama product who did have some time. Like when Gus Malzahn was here, there was a big push for Auburn Robbie Ashford, after yeah. Robbie Ashford. And there was like a big moment where it's like, yeah, he's, he's going to come to Auburn. He'll end up coming to Auburn. And look, it took a pit stop at Oregon. He's also able to say he's played D1 baseball because he did play yep. a baseball season with the Oregon Ducks. Uh, so a multi-sport athlete, a, a great player. And, and now he could have that opportunity after a, a difficult or different path, I should say, to be one of the quarterbacks at Auburn that sees the field. There's there's not a one-size-fits-all for yeah. every, every situation. There mm-hmm. are going to be situations where transfers are transfers for a reason. And that reason is is not a endearing one as far as success on the football field. There's also going to be mistakes made at other schools. Schools will start the wrong guy. Schools will, you know, value a different skill set or a different personality. And some people, some of these kids will mature. Some some will not be ready to be the big time guy at age 19, like they will be when they're 21 or 22. Yep. Um, and, and so we can't really look at this thing and say. If this, then this, because there's so many different ways to get uh, both good and bad outcomes. And look, there's guys that came out of high school at this quarterbacking position, <coughs> Tate Martell, that <laughs> should what well, had all the hype in the world. Oh my god, should have been a great collegiate quarterback, yes. and then didn't even play. Didn't even touch. Didn't the field. even play. And you know, like I, I think of. You know this weird situation that I, or at least I think it's weird, that Quinn Ewers walks on the, not walks on, but joins Ohio right, State's right. football team early, so that he can transfer because C.J. Stroud's the guy. He's going to win this Texas job over I think Hudson Card. What if Quinn Ewers is good this year? Is Arch Manning going to just chill for a couple years at Texas? No. Heck no. And, like, I get you have to move on and you have to assume this or this and you, you got to make your college decision. I'm sure Texas is just giving him a bag because he's Arch Manning. Yeah. But, like, what are we going to say then when Arch Manning's transferring and the recruitment's back open? It, again, if Quinn Ewers is good. Or if Quinn Ewers is not good. Look, you missed on a five-star. He went at Ohio State, never played, went to Texas, didn't succeed. And then he's going to end up going to, I don't know, uh <laughs> Missouri, <laughs> and we're going to get excited about it or something, or Missouri get excited about it. So I'm just saying there's there's not a path that is right 90 or 100% of the time. And so for these guys, Auburn's got guys on three different paths. He's got TJ Finley, who started a half a year at LSU, who had not great success there, to be honest with you. Auburn thumped LSU when TJ Finley's quarterback. Yep. He comes he ends up getting an opportunity last year at Auburn at the end of the year. You got Zach Calzada, who was not supposed to be the starter at AM, became the starter because of an injury. And then they were okay with him throughout the rest of the year. Definitely average. Um, you know, and, and ultimately though, they weren't thrilled about him coming back. So he kind of 
takes a different route. And then you got Robbie Ashford didn't play a, a second at Oregon, didn't play. So you've got guys with different situations here. And, look, Auburn's going to keep hoping that one of them works out. I can't promise you there will be, but they're, they've got different guys here. That's what that's what competition is about. they got guys that look, feel a little bit different. We shall see. It's going to end up being Holden Gurner. We shall see <laughs> what takes place. Sawyer Pate. In the uh, Fan Auburn club. quarterback battle. Let's go ahead. We've reached the end of hour number two. got to pay some bills here on Auburn's first at Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Alongside Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry. My name is JJ Jackson. Two hours of the books, and we're rolling. Two hours of sports call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call getting started. Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry. We hope that you're doing well. On this Wednesday, it's been a fun show so far. We've been able to accomplish a lot of things, take a lot of phone calls and more. And as we do each and every day as we get going in the third hour, let's give you our daily show recap. We've already finished the first two hours of Sports Call today. (sighs) Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? It's now time for the Daily Show Recap. Um, can you repeat the part of the stuff where you said all about the things? Absolutely, we'll repeat the part where we said the stuff about all about the things. All right, having fun here with uh, our Daily Show Recap. Kim Barry, what all has happened on Sports Call today? We have had, we've done some birthdays. We've had a great interview with... NB, NB, see, you got me. I got everybody. NBC Sports. Yeah, Steve Letard. Steve Letard talking some NASCAR. That was definitely a bigger interview for Ryan, Tom, and you, JJ, than it was me. But um, yeah, good stuff nonetheless. And and quarterbacks. Yeah, and then we've talked a little bit about the quarterbacks, uh, the the quarterback situation that we've got going on for Auburn and how uh, it seems like TJ Finley's going to be the starter. And. Uh, Robbie Ashford is going to be number two, and Calzada, who we all expected to be the starter, is going to come in at number three. And uh, that just seems to be the biggest development so far is that Calzada hasn't showed out as much uh, as we expected him to be, kind of still recovering from that left shoulder surgery and um, just not taking the job like kind of everybody expected. So, yeah, that's that's what uh, the show has entailed today. Ryan's legs are tired from standing on his soapbox. Yeah, Ryan's <laughs> been on a couple soapboxes today. 
The thing about so, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> We've recapped the festivities of the Thunder Chickens last night. I know everyone oh. is always um, concerned, and uh, for those parties that are like, "Man, you've been doing this for weeks." We understand it's a summer it's sport over. that we do, it's, and it's yeah, over now. We're done. So we'll have a little bit of a break uh, in the back of our minds. We're not we think about in the it. Fall. We're not playing in the fall league. Maybe spring. Maybe spring. We get spicy, but. We're planning to be back next summer. Year three of the Thunder Chickens. Like, everybody's going to bounce back and be stronger going into next season. We might even have a cheering section next year. we got to figure out a way to get more folks involved and, can and support. I, can well, I just say, the, though, the lightning we, hens? And yeah, the, the yeah I like that. Let's try and get a better team before we get a uh, cheering yeah. section. I'm fine. Yeah, let's do it. Let's better get a better team, team and let's, let's get a free cheering agency section. hard. The, the Let's thing, have folks come out to our games. Well, that, you know what's... Yeah, here's the thing. Last I was going to put somebody on blast, but I'll wait. Uh, is that, here's the thing. So last night, uh, yeah, we ended up... That was a lopsided win, but we played for a very long time against them. Yeah. So much so that the other games had ended, and, and they we were, were all watching yeah, us get our right. butts yeah. kicked. <laughs> I wish that game was close. That was the end. thing is they... Everybody got there, and I mean, there was like huge because they were getting ready to come onto our field to play, so they were all watching us. And unfortunately, by the time they got there, was when out of hand Moses was just I mean, it was like every ball they hit was to the fence or over the fence, to the fence, over the <sighs> fence, to the fence. And it's like, man, y'all picked a heck of a time to come over here and watch this game, right? I looked, I was. I was playing third base last night, and I was right there at their dugout. And after, I don't know, I kind of looked over there at one of the guys. I was like, you know, y'all can stop now. <laughs> it's like, it just got ridiculous. I didn't think we were ever going to get out of that inning because they just – fourth inning? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and like I said, it wasn't us making mistakes. It was just they kept hitting the ball – into the gap. It makes me wonder over if, and over if there's and over a, again. a defensive alignment we need to try, whether that's just instead of having the rover – either just putting the fifth infielder or putting a fourth outfielder. Because we did the fourth outfielder thing right. against them the week before, and that didn't do anything because right. they just hit the line drives. So I told I told Daniel to go play uh. closer to the to the infield, and he caught one. Yeah. One went right to him. But still, I mean, they scored 22, three runs. And I was recounting. We only had like two true errors. We yeah, had a throw to first that was high from shortstop, and then we had in left field one drop. Those only accounted for a couple runs. I mean, it's not like it's not and, like those were the cataclysmic mistakes that we've made at other times in yeah. our well, history. Well, and, and and really that one to left field. I mean, that was Van. Van's one of our most sure-handed right. fielders. He was. I mean, he was. I was dead. trying not to name names on the errors, Tom. <laughs> I, but no, the thing is, I w- the thing is, I wouldn't even. I would. I honestly would have given that a hit just because of how far he had to come running. Yeah. To that, he. Van, I mean, he was hauling. Yeah, Van was. Van was like, he dude, was, I was exhausted. I mean, to he was ball. a full on sprint because it was a, a short fly ball that was about to drop in 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 the shallow left field. Van was hauling butt to get to that ball, and he got right to it as it just kind of tipped off of his glove. And so I don't know. I'm like that. That wasn't there. Now the throw, you know, high throws and things. Sure, but I mean, I can't blame Van for that. that I mean, goodness gracious, as far as he had to try to come to catch that ball. Yeah, uh, man, it was tough. I only had one ball hit to me all night. See, that's the other thing with a team like that. They very rarely hit anything on the infield. They they just smash to the fence. Yeah. And so I I literally had one ball hit my direction, and of course it was so fast. So, it it. it 
It well, went, they, had, they hit several ground balls. that just went through the well, side yeah, of the infield. Yeah, yeah. but that, that's the thing. They they know how to they know how to hit the gaps. They they don't hit it at you. Very rarely do they hit one directly at. Somebody. I think we had like four or five putouts on the ground. Yeah. Um, Early on, yeah, a lot got through. Yeah, yeah. I, know I mean, we were you know, from a lot shortstop. Of, Matt had a couple. Brant had a yeah. comebacker right to him where I was a little worried on the toss. Just, easy, easy, and you know he got it to me. Yeah. Made the play. Wilson had one thrown over my way too, which was good. So. Yeah. Yeah, had, no pitching for JJ last night. Yeah, moved over to no first. Errors at first. Though, I had two flies my way. That was it. And Cam Barry most improved. I mean, oh my goodness, the improvement defensively at the plate. Like it was fun to watch you this year. Hey, I tried my best. I said we were going to limit the Thunder Chickens discussions, and here we are going more in detail. So uh, with that, we'll officially give you a free agency preview next week uh, <laughs> to extend <laughs> to extend the Thunder Chickens conversation. All right, we. Uh, I want to get to a Hump Day update here in just a little bit. We're talking quarterbacks, and this story just came across the radar as well. Uh, done by the Sports Daily, and uh, on topic, we're going to jump from college football to the NFL, Ooh. and quarterback is a position that has so much judgment on wins and losses. It's also a position where the average career of an NFL quarterback is just 4.4 years. So Tom Man. Brady is obviously a big, big, big time outlier yeah, major in this. Outlier. But with that being said, they've compiled the quarterbacks with the most losses ever as a starter. Does anyone have a guess on who could be on that list? The most mm. losses as a starter? Yes. Like these are current quarterbacks or you're just on about overall? All time. Oh, all time. Man. Sheesh. All time? Uh, Philip Rivers. Philip yeah, Rivers, Rivers could definitely be up there. Is sixth. Oh, I've got shit. the top six. The way you He's said the it, last guy. Was like, oh, I've got with the hundred and six losses. Eli Manning and Philip Rivers' career. Eli Manning is second all time wow. with the hundred and seventeen losses. Manning also won two Super Bowls. They point out, which kind of makes up for a, a good number of losses. I'm sure when does he looks this, at his man. Does this include postseason, regular season? Dan Marino. It, no, uh, Dan yeah, Marino no, is not no. up there. Is is it going to be a guy that you're like, oh wow, they won a bunch of games, but they also lost John Elway. Nope. No. Okay. Brady. Nope. No. See, I was actually thinking Peyton Manning because those are some teams. I mean, as much yeah. as they won, they were also on a lot of losing teams. No. Um, this is tough. Vinny Testaverde. Vinny Testaverde is number one wow. all time look with nice. 123 losses. There we go. That's and crazy I, to think I about. Did not look that up. How did you? Heisman guess that? Trophy winner from Miami, the number mm, one overall was... pick in '87 NFL no. draft, 123 yeah, losses across 21 played with, seasons. Played on some terrible yeah, Browns teams, Browns, Jets, uh, Bucks. Yeah, he's on some awful teams. So Vinny, Tes Vinny Testaverde is one with 123 losses. Eli Manning. Is two with 117. Someone has won 14. Someone has won 12. Someone has 109. And uh, Philip Rivers is sixth with 106. Who are the, who are the other I'll, guys? I'll tell you that fifth was Fran was, Tarkenton. Oh, yeah. With Fran 109 Tarkenton. losses. Played college football where? Anybody? Don't know. Anybody? I don't know. No? No? Georgia. Georgia. All I'm right. Go, Fran the man. I'm going to go Favre. Favre is fourth. Favre, Favre oh, has wow, 112 okay. losses. Because I'm doing, I'm just doing math here. So it's like, even though Brady's been QB for 22 years, you'd have to lose season. five a year to get to 110. 
And as preposterous as that is, he's usually lost three or four yep. every year. And, of course, had one perfect season in the regular season. Um, but Favre, you know, again, he's quarterbacked for almost 20 years. And but he had a couple years where the Packers were like eight and eight, and even though eight and eight's not this horrendous thing, it when you do it twenty times, it adds up. Um, so we've got two more in the top six. You got one, one more. more. Vinny Testaverde, number one, one hundred and twenty-three losses. Eli Manning, number two, with one hundred and seventeen losses. Brett Favre is fourth with one twelve. Fran Tarkenton, one hundred nine. Philip Rivers, one hundred six. This is a 21st century quarterback. This is a quarterback that has retired within the last decade. Drew Brees. Drew Brees. Yeah, that was third all time. I, I started thinking Brees or, or Matt Ryan, but then I was like, I don't think Ryan's quarterback quite long enough. Brees He's probably has, not too far off the list. Brees has but. two more losses than Brett Favre and three fewer than Eli Manning. Brees also has career. some Chargers time to Just thought that was their, uh, yeah. some fun football trivia for you there we've got to take a break speaking of football we do that we talk about that next our first ever hump day update coming up right after this Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back into Sports Call, Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson with Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry inside our studios here on South College Street. We hope that everyone is enjoying this Wednesday, getting closer to the start of the college football season. This Saturday, we've got some action. Week Zero is here, uh, Tom, at 11.30 a.m. Central on Saturday. Nebraska and Northwestern are playing a football game from Ireland. Yeah. You should have heard how thrilled Brandon Marcello was about that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. No, he he was like, they, this is all for money. This needs to stop. They don't right. even want to be doing it. This will not continue much longer. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't. I, I, I'm I don't. with him. Like, why do we have to do that in Ireland? Like, right. or like, it's college. It's American college. Right. It would be like English colleges playing soccer over here. Sure. Like, what? Why would we care? No yeah. offense. Why would we care? Yeah. If you want to bring your professional sport, that's a little different because it's still more well-known and there's still potential that one day another country could be legitimately involved. Because as we know, obviously, there's Canadian teams in, quote, American right. sports leagues. And, right. and there was still this idea that one day the NFL might explore a team over there <laughs> in England, which I don't know if that will actually ever happen. No but way. that's definitely been their intention is they've, it, they've thought about that. It's Nebraska and who? Northwestern. Northwestern. It's a conference yeah. game. Uh, well, here's here's the other thing that I have a problem with. It, it not only are you sending these two teams to Ireland where they don't care, you're also sending two teams that are really have. Well, Northwestern has always been pretty irrelevant. Nebraska has been really irrelevant over the last several years. Granted, they were a powerhouse in the '80s, but and '90s, 
and yeah, that's true. But I mean, but I went. But, to, you're, but you're sending, but you're sending two teams that are irrelevant over to Ireland to play in a money game. Now, if you wanted to send Bama and Ohio State to go play in Ireland, that might actually generate some some stuff over there. But I mean, Nebraska Northwestern. I mean, that's not a game you're even going to really care to watch. I don't if think they're playing could, here. Uh, yeah, but I don't think you could convince anyone worth their while to go over there. No, 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 yeah, not, not at that, all. I'm just saying issue, that. Yeah. I'm just saying yeah. you might do better than that. But I mean, those two teams playing. There's not a whole lot of general college football fans that are even going to care about those team, two teams playing. Nope. Even if it, uh, you know if they were playing here. Agreed. Yeah, I. Yeah, we will care because it's the first week. But I mean, if it was yeah. sandwiched in week four at some point, I don't the, think a lot of people. The, the would only be. the only thing that could make that remotely interesting is if they did it here, but did it. Let's just say since Northwestern's in Chicago and they did another Wrigley Field game like they did the bowl game that one year, and you hold Nebraska versus Northwestern in Wrigley. Granted, that kind of get in the way of baseball since that's kind of going on right now. But that would make that interesting. But them playing in Ireland, who cares? Not a whole lot of fans, I would imagine, mm. uh, over over there that um, are going to be invested in that game, and you know, hard to blame them for that. Mm. Hard to blame them. Go, for that. go to Nebraska and do a Field of Dreams football game, and just carve out a patch of the cornfields out there in Nebraska right. and <laughs> put a football field there. So I might watch that. We've got college football on Saturday. Auburn plays in ten days next Saturday, and the Campbell University Camels play in eight. Days. They've got a Thursday night game taking on the Citadel to start their season. If folks were to ask us the origin story for this as we get our first ever hump day update started, I wouldn't know what to tell them. Um, I think we did fast facts on camels, the creature, the Probably. animal, yeah. last yes, week. Yes, we did. Uh, or two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Maybe a month ago. Maybe a month ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was a wacky Wednesday yes. in which we started to talk about camel. Yeah, but we've done stories since then. We did we did those uh, candy corn taste testing since then. I mean, it's been like a month. It's been a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah. But here we are. It's time for our first ever Hump Day update. Here we go. Let's have some fun. Time for your sports call Hump Day update on the Campbell Camels football team. <laughs> How about that? Somewhere my dad is laughing his head off. <laughs> Our first ever sports call, hump day update on the Campbell Camels football team. Here's our first question for some folks. This is where we got to start. Go ahead. You know you start. Yeah, you, you this start. is where we have to start. Start us, yep. Where is Campbell, where is Campbell <laughs> University? What is Campbell University? Why is Campbell University? Oh, How is Campbell University? All right, so fast facts about Campbell University. What do you got for us, Tom? Well, they are located in Bowie, is it Bowie's, Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. Right. Uh, their colors are black and orange, and their nickname are the Fighting Campbell Camels of yeah. Campbell University, and that's, they play football in Barker Lane Stadium. They're ten, yeah, that's what I was going to say. They're technically the Campbell Fighting Camels. The Camel, the Fighting they don't, Camels. They're not just cameling around. They're right. Fighting Camels. <laughs> uh, they are They are members of the uh, Big South Conference. They are Division One FCS. And so, uh, yeah. Let, I want to add a couple to 20 Division One teams on their campus. Not for Tom. Private University. 
in not, the state of North Carolina. Not for Tom because he's got it in front of him. And if you've seen it, please don't answer either. Barker Lane Stadium is the stadium that Campbell calls home. What is its capacity? What is its capacity? I would like you to guess. That's why I asked the question. I'm going to say 5,000. Okay. I'm going to go like 30,000. Whoa. Too JJ, big? Yeah. JJ Wait, was close. I was going to say it's probably it's about 4,000. It's only 6,200. I was giving them a lot of credit. 6,200 camels can get into there <laughs> and watch the fighting camels fight it out on the gridiron. Campbell University, I'm looking for, you know, notable Oh, that's what I was just alumni. I was just looking that up. Tell me who jumps out to you, Tom. Uh, let me get it pulled up here. Wikipedia is a heck of a thing. Currently in sports, Chris Clemens for the Houston Rockets, he scored a million points oh, yeah. in his NCAA career. He is a member. Gaylord Perry, that's a big name oh, wow. in baseball history. Yep. Yeah. Jim Perry as well. Both of those names, Gaylord Perry and Jim that, Perry, that's the Cy name Young of their award winners. They've got Gaylord the Camel and Gladys the Camel. Oh, my. Wow, so they named him after Gaylord Perry? Wow. Michelle Coe, oh, professional yeah. golfer and 2016 huh? Olympian. George Lehman, Paul Green, boss. a recipient of the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Okay. Jeffrey Bannister, a major general in the United States Army. They have their peeps. They've yeah. got their peeps. Do we need to go to the rundown of their... John D. Loudermilk, class of 1957, American singer and songwriter. All right. Do we need to go to the run, rundown of their classifications here? I think that's important. From 1925 to 1950, they were independent. 1951 to 2007, they had no team. Did not ah. have a team. 08 to 2017, they were in the Pioneer Football League, which seems perfect, honestly, for um, the Camels. For the Camels yeah. to be in. And then in 2018, they joined the Big South Conference, and they have been there since. And that music you're hearing is performed by the Sound of the Sand Hills Marching Band. Nice. <laughs> I approve of the. Yeah, a Baptist name. University, private university, again in Bowie's Creek, North Carolina, founded in 1887. Campbell University. Here we go. Getting set for a game eight days from today, taking on the Citadel. Tell me more about this Campbell football team, folks might be asking. Well, we do a little bit of research. We look back at what they were able to do in 2021. And uh, look, a 3-8 and eight record a year ago for our Fighting Camels. Got to be better this but year. But look, this year... Got to be better. This year on the schedule, look, they, they're, they've been stepping up, obviously. Went Pioneer League to now FCS. They do have an FBS opponent this year. Ooh. They go to Greenville to face East Carolina ah. on week three of the season. Play the Pirates. And also, they have a very notable FCS team, probably the FCS team most people around here are familiar with, not in terms of success, but in terms of popularity right, right now. They play Jackson State this year. Ah, How yeah. about that? Right. And that game is pretty late, or in the middle of the season, October the 22nd in Jackson. Jackson State. It's Deion Sanders' yeah. team. Yeah. So I wonder if uh, – and I'm looking at this right now, and this and Dad's about to get really excited because, again, he almost – it was almost a proud fighting camel. It looks like that they've got all but 
two games on ESPN Plus, all but three games on ESPN Plus. Yeah. So if you subscribe That's the official, to that. The official uh, broadcaster of Campbell Camels is ESPN Plus. There you go. The head uh, coach of Campbell is Mike Minter. He was a former Carolina Panthers safety on the early Panther teams that I watched growing up. Number 30, great player for the Panthers. Uh, really enjoyed watching him play over the years. He has been their head coach since 2013. Hello. Has a record of 39 and 54. Not the winningest track record right. there for Campbell, but nonetheless. You got a bit when you're moving up a whole classification. And in that's the a FCS big name in the and, state of North yeah. Carolina. Mike Minter, people, people yeah. are aware of that name. So uh, looking at Campbell's uh, complete schedule, so as you mentioned, September the 1st, Thursday, September the 1st, they open uh, hosting the Citadel. A team Auburn has seen before. Yeah. Uh, and then they are at William & Mary. And then they are on September the 17th, they are at East Carolina. Uh, then we move to October, they host North Carolina Central, and that is Letterman's Day for the Camels. Following that, they host Charleston Southern, which is homecoming and fighting Camel Club Day. <laughs> uh, the following Saturday, they host Robert Morris, and that is Military Appreciation Day for the Campbell Camels. October the 22nd, at Jackson State, as we mentioned. October the 29th, they are at North Carolina A&T. November the 5th, they are at Bryant University. November the 12th, they host Gardner-Webb on Senior Day, Parents' Day, and the NC Barbecue Bowl. And then on November the 19th, they wrap up everything at Delaware State. Wait a minute. We're calling the Gardner-Webb game the NC Barbecue Bowl? That's what it says. In oh, that's great. The in the North Carolina Barbecue Bowl. I'm with it. Are you aware of this, JJ? Campbell yeah. versus Gardner-Webb. Yep. You were? I was. I absolutely was. Yeah. Are you Are you BS? I'm not. Me? Levi Ledford played quarterback okay. at Gardner-Webb for a year, and there is a big barbecue rivalry. Let's in the go. State of All right. Really That's exciting. Awesome. I was doing a little bit of math on this Campbell team from a year ago. Again, 2021, we just laid out their schedule for this season. Three and eight football team. Right. Okay. Three and eight football team in 2021. Looking at their wins... They had a 72-0 win over Presbyterian, which is hilarious because that's where Kevin Kelly coached. That's kind of how this over got over the past yeah. few years, we were giving you the Kevin Kelly updates, the coach that never punts. In wins last year, gentlemen, in games that Campbell walked away victoriously, the Fighting Camels averaged 54 points. In losses, they averaged 16.75. Three and eight a year ago in wins they averaged fifty four points in losses sixteen point seven five. We gotta find a way to High score the football. There. Gotta find a way to score the football this upcoming season. Yes. I can't wait. I can't wait. And it starts eight days from now against I, Citadel. I think I saw it is their little thing is hashtag roll humps. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to start doing that or we might have to start hashtagging that ourselves uh. as well. How invested are you going to be in Campbell football this season, Cam? Cam, I don't even know Campbell. why we're doing this. Honestly, I it's mean, a hump day update. Yeah, I man. guess so. We gotta have guess a fun. What day it is. We gotta have a fun. Like, like, break up the monotony. Like, like we like we brought it up, and I was like. What are we going? How are we going with this? But I, it's this year's version of the I'm with of, of the Kelly update. All right, all right. Gotta have something. Um, I will be 
minimally invested. You will be watching it just so you can come on here and talk about yeah, it. Yeah, you go. will look at the score after there and check go. the yeah. stat sheet. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yep. Campbell University, hashtag roll. Dad, I, again, I keep name dropping my father, but he's going to watch this. He and mom are going to watch this, and they're going to have an opinion for me. So I'll get oh, secondhand so opinions. Funny. I, oh. I can't wait. It is roll, hashtag roll humps. Hashtag roll humps. Hashtag roll humps. We are switching. A home from, game see, next I've week. Got we're, my switching, parents. we're switching from cluck up to roll humps. <laughs> yeah. I've got my parents hooked on the multi-TV setup so they can afford to – as other would, others would just say, burn a screen on an FCS no, team. No, it's worth it. Uh, they, they've uh, they've got multiple screens, so they can they can have several focuses. I They're wish putting I could on. have multiple screens. I love it. Oh yeah, no, it's it's definitely it's worth an elite it. setup. Oh, we yeah. did it. Our first Hump Day update. Let you know a little bit more about Campbell University. And I I'm I'm gonna say this again, JJ. You need to reach out to their SID department and explain oh. to them what we're doing and get them to send us some camel swag. We would love it. We would love it. We'll I, see what we can make happen. I, I would proudly support support. They me, would probably uh, say, "Wait, dude, Auburn, Alabama, a Campbell Camels." Maybe I'll shirt. try to get an interview with Mike Minter. Do it, their head coach. Oh. See if you want to talk about the football team this season. Could hey, be a what? lot of fun hey. on a Wednesday. On yeah. a Wednesday, yeah, of on game week, doing prep each week. Yeah, we'll we see what we can do. Yeah. All right, uh, let's take a quick timeout. Sports call continues in a moment. Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into the program. It's the Abbey Award-winning sports talk show here in the state of Alabama. We are Sports Call Auburn, WTGZ Tiger 95.9 FM, and on the Tiger Communications app. All right, our show is almost over, but after our show, coming up at the top of the hour at 6 o'clock, we are going to have the High School Coaches Show live from Wild Wing Cafe in Opelika. Also, tomorrow, the first edition of Tiger Talk of the year. Yeah. Crazy. So Crazy. Tiger Talk being here means that talk. football season is right around He's the corner. Officially here. Got a chance to have some lunch earlier today with Andy Birch and Brad Law. They're ready to rock and roll and get going with Tiger Talk next, or tomorrow. I'm sorry. It's tomorrow on FM Talk 93.9. It's back. And then next Thursday will be the last Tiger Talk show before they actually play a game next Saturday against the Mercer Bears to get the season started. Do we have a... Uh... A location lineup uh, for the first couple weeks, or just great question uh-huh. to ask. Uh-huh. I'm not prepared to answer that okay. question at this right. moment. Stay tuned. Okay, for All more right. details. I, you know, yeah, I just can't. Yeah, I like food. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that always interests me. Yeah. Uh, it was just purely a food based question, honestly. Uh, so, with that being said, it just brings us closer to uh, the start of football season. Saturday is the final. Falcons preseason game, noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern. The broadcast starts as the Falcons play their final preseason tune-up before the regular season gets going. I'm so excited. 
I know I'm not supposed to be excited because they're supposed to be bad, but I'm excited. Yeah. I can't help it. It's a new season and a new I team. I can't help it. I've, I've d- <laughs> I can't help it. Subliminal messaging. I, in that. I, just, I, just, I, I just feel like we're going to be a more promising team than a lot of people think. The, the, some people have projected us to be like the worst team, and they say that we have the absolute worst roster in the NFL, and I just do not see how that's what true. What do those people know? I, I, I'm not going to say that you know we're – amazing or anything but worst roster no bottom five i could agree to that um and you know maybe some people are like what's the difference between the bottom five and everybody else but um, well i'll tell you as a bucks fan for a long time avoiding the being the worst team in the league was a goal something was a goal and i just don't think we're going to be absolutely abysmal you know i i think mariota's shown some promise in the preseason obviously it's against the lions and the jets so you can't really be like what do you know? And then we played the Jags on Saturday, Saturday, so it's not even like we're playing even decently formidable defenses. What's funny is you played all the other really bad teams yeah. in the preseason. Lions, yeah. Jaguars. I mean, I seriously, and I think Lions, those would be the teams that you would be talking about as having the other bottom rosters yeah. there. Yeah, uh, true true enough. As, I mean, Jag, Jags have, have improved their roster. They went out and got some signings and, and yeah. some guys around. They spent uh, money. Yeah, around Trevor Lawrence because, I mean, you kind of have to. Um the Jets have drafted decently, but their roster is still not great. And they're the Jets at the yeah, end of the day. They're the Jets, and the Lions are the Lions, but they are fighting. So they have a, something going Yeah, everyone's going to give it the whole call yeah. a try. Yeah. Um, Even uh, Houston will attempt Houston, something with Neck Boy. I, I but just. <laughs> I, I can't, just can't take him Dude. seriously. I can't Dude. do it. David, I know I'm supposed to be. Per- terrible. I know, I'm, I know I'm not. I know I'm supposed to be professional, but I just can't look Dude, at David Mills, huge. Davis Mills, and he's just a, be like, he's got a long did you neck. See what he said yeah. when his mom was talking about how he needs to get sponsored by like turtlenecks or yes. something. <laughs> oh my yes. gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> I, Good for his mom. Yeah. You know, trying to help him out. <laughs> Turn this into a positive. The internet Literally. hates you for it. Turn this into a positive, man. But yeah, I mean, back to the Falcons. I'm excited about the season, honestly, just to see. I mean, if we can. <laughs> You know, we can, if we can build a little something, uh, the guys in the locker room seem to believe it, and maybe they believe it because they have no choice but to believe it. But they seem to think that this team is going to be better than a lot of people think as well. So um, I'm definitely excited to see. I mean, I just I I see some promise there, and I know Kyle Pitts is going to ball out like he usually does. Um, I'm extremely curious to see how the defense turns out. Um, you know, so it's just a matter of time, and and I'm just ready for the season to get started. I watched the first two episodes of Hard Knocks last night oh, with the I Detroit Lions, it. yeah. and it uh, it's got me into a big football mood. I so need to good watch sound it. bites from Dan Campbell, incredibly great sound bites from. They've got a lot of. I mean, all these NFL teams have characters that you've known from over the years, yeah. and um, all the assistant coaches for the Lions are uh, pretty recognizable coaches or player former players from their career and. Uh, yeah, they've, they've announced that the Cardinals are going to be the in-season, in-season version. I was, that's what I was going to ask of, about. Uh, of the knew. Lions. Oh, I'm so excited. And uh, so Kyler, hey, we'll see whether or not he is in the film room trying to yeah. study up a little bit. DeAndre Hopkins oh uh, in the mix there games. as well. And yeah, they that was the, at the end of episode one, their announcement for the Cardinals was just uh, DeAndre Hopkins doing a calf exercise like in the training yeah. room. And then the screen just went black and said, in-season heart knocks, Arizona Cardinals 2022. Oh, yeah. And it was just a shot of DeAndre Hopkins doing some calf raises. I said, heck yeah, man. Woo. Good workout. Forgive me for not knowing this. I'll 
show that I don't know anything here. Um, was it last year or this year Hopkins got suspended? It's this year. It is this He's year. Suspended okay. for six the first six games of the season. Yikes! All right, I just thought that was in my head. You yep. said DeAndre Hopkins. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL, yep. and that's not a small thing for them. No, that team struggled the last half. People of last have forgotten year. about him. DeAndre? Yeah, yeah, they've forgotten about him. I think we're too was, consumed with Kyler Murray and just, like, what's his contract language and, like, it just all things Kyler Murray, good and bad, and that we kind of forget that they have the ingredients to be a pretty good football team. They have and, other really good players. Yeah, and DeAndre was injured for, I would say, about half of last season. Mm-hmm. So that kind of caused a little fall off as well. So people really don't think about him near as much as they should because he is a – top five receiver in the league um, when he's 100% healthy right. and playing. I've been watching a good bit of um, the the I Am Athlete training camp tour videos uh, where they're walking around two wide receivers across the NFL mm-hmm. and asking these wide receivers to rank their top five wide receivers. And not a lot of love for DeAndre Hopkins. Really? Which I just don't understand. Really? I just because these the are guys like Keenan Allen and Jamar Chase and like I mean, Cooper you just Cup. Don't think about it when you. I mean, even in the last year when you when you're having that conversation, you can't really think about it because he's been injured and it's then so much recency yeah. bias. It's this recency yeah. bias, man. Like that's that, really all. That's it one is. of the toughest things the in sports, I, though, because yeah. it's like. How much? How do? You, what part of the equation goes into three years ago, two years ago, and last year? Right. You know, it's like, and, and then and then kind of a projection of what the guy will be. That's one of the reasons you know? I don't like the NFL top. It's like three years ago, Julio's probably the oh, best yeah. or second best oh, receiver yeah. in the league. Two years ago, he's still top five. You're still respecting yeah. it. Last year, he's too injured to be top ten. Now he's like. Top fifty, yeah, <laughs> you know, like I, I don't know because you just and now he's an afterthought. The decline is so swift; is just absolutely insane. But yeah, I, recency bias is one of the reasons I don't really love the NFL top one hundred. And for something that there's no right answer, there. I mean, this it's entirely objective. Sure. Yeah. All right, uh, but the, that's some football conversation, oh. and football's headed your way. And again, after our show goes off the air, we've got the high school coaches show from Wild Wing Cafe: Bill Bailey, Walter Northcutt, Brant Daughtry. Sitting down with coaches from across the area. Here's our TV guy. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Our Nightly TV Guide is brought to you by our friends over at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Taking a look at what's at television tonight. We've got the Little League World Series on ESPN all night long. WNBA playoffs. Seattle is at Washington. 6 p.m. on ESPN2. Winner of that game advances to the semifinals. Major League Baseball. The Chicago White Sox at the Baltimore Orioles at 6 o'clock on FS1. What's interesting about that game? White Sox at Orioles, FS1. Uh, The interesting thing is that the Orioles are actually a pretty competent team this year trying to make a playoff spot. And... They're playing. I'm sorry. Who they're playing? The White Sox. Yes. Uh, the interesting thing there is that the White Sox, every single time they lose, start a chorus of fire Tony Larusa <laughs> uh, discourse. So the interesting thing there is just like if the Orioles finished with a better record than the White Sox this year, is there any path to Tony Larusa being the manager <laughs> next year? Oh man, Deadpool is a movie pick for you this evening at 6:30 on FX. Great movie. And then Independence Day at six on Sci-Fi. I ask this every time, but uh, Independence Day is starring Will Smith, yes. right? 
And what is the premise of this film? Uh, aliens visiting Earth in a non-hospitable way. <laughs> um, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> I listened. I listened to the rewatchables with Bill Simmons uh, talk about this. Chris Ryan a couple weeks ago, and this is just a great. This is a banger of a movie. The sequel's not great. Will Smith. So many people are in their prime in this movie. Jeff Goldblum, Bill Pullman. So people should it's check great, it out tonight, watch. 6 yeah, o'clock on Sci-Fi. Good selection there for your nightly TV guy. Our thanks again. Steve Latart was on the show today. Pretty awesome conversation with him. Coming up tomorrow, we've got a fun edition of Sports Call on a Thursday. And uh, then Friday's here, and we're one week closer to the start of the college football season. Cam Barry, thank you for being here today, man. Glad to be here. Tom? Appreciate you as always. We'll see you next week. Hashtag roll humps. Roll humps, baby. <laughs> Our hump day update. And uh, Mr. Ryan LaVoy, thank you for being here. We'll see you on Friday. Let's go fighting camels. There we go. That's our buddy Ryan LaVoy along with Cam Barry and Tom Peavy. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day. <laughs>